Cheeky Volley, year-end recap. Brett's nowhere to be found. Went on a holiday bender and uh, went to Celtics game last night. We're not sure where he is. Kabir's coming in live from Miami. Asher's in London. Alex is in Connecticut. So everyone's home. Everyone's at the homestead. Um, today we're going to do a recap of the last decade and a little bit talk about uh, what the last year was like in the uh, world of the ATP tour. Asher, what are we, uh, what's the Seinfeld episode today? Uh, yeah, so this is a, a classic episode, season eight, episode 19, the yada yada. Classic. So the, the, uh, the inspiration for this comes from when I went to the, um, the ATP finals last month and we went with like a few friends and sort of on our, in the taxi on the way there, this, our friend Margot, she starts telling the story about, um, this dramatic thing that happened with her, with her two friends, uh, one of them left a scarf uh at, at someone's house and that that scarf some moths went at it and then she was claiming like 400 pounds or something from <laughs> from from the person whose house it was so it was a big drama but that that girl who was uh, claiming the money her name was something yada so <laughs> she, so margot is saying that she she only refers to her as yada yada <laughs> so 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 like just just listen, listening to the seinfeld story uh on the way to atp tennis i think was one of the great moments in my life for sure that's brilliant. Kabir, any, you got any thoughts on that episode? Uh, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on Tim Watley. Oh, yeah. So, so for, for background, uh, what happens in this episode is that Tim Watley, the dentist, he, he converts to ju Judaism. <laughs> and, uh, and Jerry is convinced that he did it just so that he could make uh, Jewish jokes. And, and separately, where the, where the title of the episode comes from, George has a girlfriend who kind of doesn't give whole stories. She just kind of starts and then goes, yada, 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 finish. <laughs> and everyone, everyone thinks this is some genius idea of kind of eva evading uh, sort of difficult <laughs> lines of questioning. <laughs> Classic. That was also a pretty fantastic explanation of the episode in the context. Oh, also, also the, the episode came out with a classic uh, anti-dentite uh, oh, line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, actually, that's a good transition. Speaking of anti-dentites and medicine. Um, and so, Jews and medicine. And Jews and medicine. So Alex has just finished his first semester as a med school student. I'm, I'm curious. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot about how being a student impacts your tennis game. And I'm curious how being a med school student wearing all white ASICs um, <laughs> it's impacted your game. I know you, you played recently, a couple days ago. So, so I, went hitting, I went from hitting pretty consistently last year to playing maybe maybe once a month. <laughs> I started med school in August. And uh, most recently, I came home and Brett and I hit in Glastonbury. I played terribly, felt really slow. Demoed, uh, I demoed the, like the V-Core 97 the, with the green paint job and the blue... Uh, the Curios, what is it? The E Zone. E Zone 98. E Zone 98. Mm, e Zone 98. When I've hit within the past, I really liked it, but now it has the, uh, the the demo I had was missing the butt cap, so I feel like that's not necessarily a good demo. It felt like much lighter. Um, but yeah, timing was off. Uh, so in general, I think it's possible to maintain your tennis if you can hit consistently. But so I would say med school has been. Sitting, doing a lot of flashcards, and uh, just not not really thinking about the game in a serious way has definitely 
had an impact on my uh Alex pre-med school you were pretty set on switching to a two-handed forehand while you were a med school student <laughs> no this was this was probably pre this, that's more than that's like two years ago I think okay post back years okay yeah, maybe this is like 2017. I thought about it, but then I think in the last year, I I, I figured out the forehand a little bit. Fair. But I would. I might later in med school. I might switch to the two-handed forehand. All right. Any thoughts on? Well, speaking of gear, demoing rackets and things, right? Any thoughts on Slinko? Oh yeah. So wait. The only reason I was demoing rackets is because I, like, a month ago I was trying to hit a kick serve. My racket fell out of my hand. And the Babolat snapped in half at the neck. Um, not, it was definitely an issue with the racket. Um, and so I only have one racket. And before med school started, I was like, I'm not going to be playing as much. I'm going to get high gauge string. So I have really thin string. So like if you're playing more, you're probably, maybe you play with 16 gauge, which means it's thicker for those of you who aren't as familiar. Um, I got like, I think I got 17 or 18 gauge Selenko, uh Hyper G, right, is the green one. And I only have one racket, so I break it, like, every time I play. Or, like, every <laughs> times I play, it just breaks, and then I have no rackets, and I have to, like, reach in my bag and grab something old. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll demo racket, see if I, I want to switch before I buy another frame. After demoing, oh, I just want the – I think I just want to buy another Babolat. Right. Um, but uh, shout-out to Selenko. Brett got some gear from them. He has not gotten his strings yet. We're not sure what's going on there. Alex has two reels. Um, anyone else playing with Hyper G? Let us know. Let us know. Um, all right. So, Kabir, what else is on? What else we, we got going? All right, after. <laughs> what's, uh, what, what are the five stories of the decade? Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's run through these. So I think number one has to be Novak. Uh, even though he kind of didn't maintain it sort of over many years in a row, like Roger, but sort of coming into the decade, he 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 won his first Grand Slam in Australia in 2008. Everyone's like, uh, okay, this, this is the next guy. He's going he's gonna to win like hardcore majors like every year. And then he didn't win in 29. He didn't win in 2010. Uh, he didn't, uh, apart from not winning the rest of 2008, he kind of was always retiring hurt from from matches didn't like his fitness level fitness levels weren't great he's kind of always complaining mentally it seemed like he wasn't there and then all of a sudden in 2011 i, I don't know what it was maybe it was a switch to sergio ticini from uh, adidas but he kind of oh it was, it was the gluten it was the gluten for sure well the, so he he went he went he went off gluten and apparently that just solved all of the issues he had before and he had one of the great seasons ever in 2011 and then over the decade, he won 15 majors uh, in total, which which is the most by far. I think Rafa was number two with 10. Um, but yeah, in, in 15, including four in a row, which which neither Roger or Rafa have done. I, I no one in the Open era has done either. So, so yeah, go, going from a guy who's who looked like he wasn't going to get there to a guy who has like got a pretty good goat uh, candidacy. Easily. I think number one story of the decade. Number two. I think the comebacks, like over the last five years, big, big surprises. Um, Comeback number one, Dimitrov at US Open this year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to see what year he turned pro. Or sorry, what year he turned gluten-free. I know, it was was 2011, yeah. Okay, so Asher, comebacks. Sorry, sorry, continue, Asher. So so, so comebacks. So I think historically, tennis tennis players have been pretty much done by their late 20s, early 30s, like... 
the guys from the 80s like Willander, uh, Becker, uh, and then you and then Lendl or Sampras. I think McEnroe and Connors played on at the end, but they, they weren't that successful by the sort of end of their careers. But Agassi played a, a bit longer. But I, I think with Federer was the main one. I think Federer's had a few different comebacks. So I think in 2010, when he lost the match points to, to Novak, everyone thought that he was done. Then in 2011, he lost match points again. Then he won Wimbledon in 2012. And then in 2013, he had a bad injury. But then he he came back from that, and then he ended up world number six or eight at the end of 2013. Comes back, has an amazing 14 and 15. Comes really close to be, to sort of winning majors, but can't quite get there. Then has another serious injury. Everyone thinks he's done again. So for the third time, comes back, has one of the great seasons in tennis history in 2017. Uh, beats Rafa four times, and then wins Australian Open 2018. Um, just to everyone's surprise, so I think that's come back number one. Rafa himself had a similar comeback, also starting in 2017. Um, sort of didn't win a major over 15 and 16, uh, then wins five over the last three years. Novak then had a comeback in 2018, uh, when sort of it looked like mentally he was he was in a bad place. He then comes back, wins Wimbledon, wins the U.S. Open, and then puts one of the great performances ever in Australia this year against Rafa. So I think those three guys, and then we, we've had a, co- a couple of uh, peripheral comebacks as well. So Stan Wawrinka, people thought he was done. He then comes back into the top 20, becomes relevant again. And then Andy Murray, he's in the midst of a comeback. Uh, he, he just pulled out of the Australian Open, so not sure if that comeback has legs. I, the one thing, though, that seems like, if you look at all of them, I guess maybe Nadal's an outlier, but we don't know if outlier means he's, like, juicing or something, is... Uh, it seems like Murray just being – I feel like he's the strongest, like physically the biggest – he must weigh the most of all those of the top four. I feel like physically he's like just bigger than Fed and Joker. Yeah, sure. talking talking to people about his training yeah. regimen, like he he did, he did, he used to do a lot more off-court stuff. So if you look at Federer, he like most of the stuff he does is on-court. In terms of his training and preparation, Andy used to like pound himself in the gym. Yeah, it seems like he was. It seems like what made him, uh, I think, reach kind of get to a level where he could win slams might be what made his career shorter than the rest of them. Yeah. yeah two two comments before we go into the fifth story of the decade. One, the only player over the last 10 years to end each year in the top 10, Nadal, which is unreal. And two, I do think we got to throw Murray into story of the decade, winning Wimbledon twice, winning Olympics, and what, mm-hmm. year end number one in 2016. Yeah, number 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Physically, he, the guy's a freak athlete. He's, he's. I, I think people don't. It's maybe it's not as easy to appreciate it uh, on TV. But when you see him in person play, he has serious presence on court. Did he win all his slams in the 2010s, Murray? Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's something. Because he came, he came in. I think like he came into 2010, possibly. Uh, like it wasn't a, it definitely didn't feel like a sure thing that he would win a slam. I feel like a lot of people doubted him that he could do it. Yeah, but it's, yeah, so that that's that's another interesting point. But so pe- people did doubt that. But at the, at the same time, going into 2010 uh, and 2011, I think people were higher on Murray than they were on Novak. So yeah. that that makes Mo- Novak's rise uh, huh. uh, put more into perspective. Yeah, I mean, Murray was knocking on the door from what 2007, 2008, right? When he was really young. Yeah. All yeah. right. Their fifth story of the decade. Oh well, well that that was the third. So the, the fourth very quickly was uh, our boy, our boy Stanislas. Oh right. Uh, right. Wawrinka, um, kind of breaking the hegemony of the big, big three-stroke, big four. 
uh, playing some incredible matches to win uh, three majors uh, from 2014 to 2016. Uh, beating coach of the decade, possibly, as, as Warren goes. Coach, for, for, for those listening who don't know, Magnus Norman uh, is uh, Warren Cuz's coach who led him to three slams. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think so. He did he did a really good job with Robin Sodling before as well in like 2009, 2010, getting him to two French Open finals when when no one thought that he he was like ever a, a major contender, right? So and then and then he just he came back to Vavinka sort of last year or at the beginning of this year, and then that sort of helped Vavinka's uh, comeback as well from a serious knee injury. But uh, wait, coach of the decade? I feel like the nominees would be what uh, Vida. Marian Vida Djokovic's coach. Yeah, Luka. I think Carlos Carlos Moya for, for Rafa's comeback. Lubicic. Warinka's coach. Lubicic, yeah, fixing Federer's Luka. backhand. And then Moya with with uh, with Nadal. But I feel like Moya and Lubicic are kind of just like there for the ride. Do you think they really deserve to be in the conversation for coach of the decade? Yes. Yes, for sure. I think I think Federer and Nadal both. It's, it's not. It's not just that they got back to the their original levels when they made the comeback. They actually had noticeable like improvements in their game. And I think that both Lubicic and Moya can be credited for those. Over the last two years on hardcore, you can see noticeably the way Nadal plays, right? Faster first serve, steps inside the court, redirects immediately with the forehand. All, I think Asher said it really well. It was almost on a hardcore. It plays like Fed now. Bangs the, bangs the first serve, immediately redirects the ball. That's classic. Yeah, he, he's, he, he's, he hits his backhand much, much flatter and harder across court. Use that, it as a weapon. Definitely a Moya um, improvement. Lubicic, I think the backhand improvement is less Lubicic, more Paul Anacone convincing him to switch to a bigger frame. But Lubicic definitely maybe implementing that and obviously being the guidance. But yeah, I mean, three slams with Lubicic in his 30s, unreal. He's definitely, definitely in that conversation. Yeah. All right, fifth story. I, I think, I think oh, well, just quickly on that, I think Lendl should be nominee for Coach of the Decade for what he did with Andy Murray, but then he should also be on the nominees for <laughs> Worst Coach of the Decade for what he did with Sasha Zverev. <laughs> so, um, Zverev against, I think, Schwartzman at the US Open this year, double faulted on a second serve at 61 miles an hour. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh Right, and then uh, final point. One more thing to Warinka. One more thing related to Warinka is the uh, how old is he when he won that first slam? Because I feel like that's an important point. Uh, I think twenty-eight. Right, which I feel like was twenty-eight. Yeah, which he kind of I feel like that started to usher in like this new. uh, I feel like before that happened, not many people were winning slams in their late twenties. That's when tennis players retired. But then. You have him, Fed, and Nadal all winning, and Joker now too, right? All winning slams. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that that leads into the next point, which is the the lack of next gen. So, like for the whole of decade, it was pretty much like who's the next. Like after Murray and jo- Novak became sort of top four, is like where's who who are the next guys? Who are the next guys? And then it was like Dimitro, it was Kyrgios, uh, it was Team, um, it was it was Vera for like the last two three years. Um, Monfils more at the beginning, but Chilich. sort of in, in Chilich. Yeah, Chilich. Chilich did win once, so that was, I guess, okay. But it, it kind of never happened throughout the decade. And as uh, Alex just mentioned, that sort of by the end of the decade, it, it sort of the middle end of the decade, it was more like, oh, David David Ferrer is still in the top 10. Um, 
David Goffin is now is now good at like 26. Uh, Vavinka is good at 28. Uh, Rob, Robbie Batts, uh, a boy. Uh, mm. Batista Agu, Bacala. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's now good at 29. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the last the last point, uh, which uh, of the decade, less less serious point, is the the rise of Uniqlo. Mm. <laughs> so starting in starting in 2012, uh, where they signed Novak because Sergio Tacchini couldn't afford to pay him anymore because he did he did way better than they thought that <laughs> uh, than they thought that he would, and a lot of his uh, sort of payment was 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 meant to be coming from uh, a bonus structure, and given he did so well. They had to basically pay him a lot, and they they couldn't afford it because they couldn't get enough shirts in production because it's quite a small niche company. So Uniqlo snapped him up in 2012, and then he had a really good run with them. And then following that, they they obviously got their boy uh, Nishikuri, and then they signed Federer to like a massive uh, massive contract last year. Which is a good transition into a focus not just on this year but over the past decade. Do we have any comments, any thoughts on best and worst gear of the decade? I think I think going off what uh, Asher said is that I feel like without no like sort of in a low key way, uh, Novak was the mo- is like sort of the most influential, um, like in terms of tennis clothing and 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 shoes. He's kind of had the most influence because he like. You have uh, rise of Uniqlo in tennis. He was the he was the first to kind of of like the big guys to wear it. He was the first. But then you have hold on hold on. Then you have Asics. He kind of made Asics like I think a lot more relevant. Um, aside from being like the shoes that podiatrists recommend for tennis players, <laughs> I I feel like he's relevant in terms of keeping head relevant. Although obviously there's a lot of other players playing with head, but he basically created a new racket. The Speed Pro is like his racket. And the death of the barricade maybe is maybe is relevant for him too. My only comment about it, it, it it's Djokovic bringing in Uniqlo into the tennis world was always odd for me because they they never sold it. Yeah, he, he Uniqlo, but they never sold the gear. You could only get it in Asia, and even there, they really only sold the stuff Nishikori wore. Uniqlo Joker. So uh, something about it was odd, but. I'm, I got to say, between Uniqlo for Joker, Nishikori, and now mainly Federer, I think it's been pretty disappointing. The clothing or what? Yeah, the clothing. But everyone is wearing it now, though, right? Because of, of Roger. True. <laughs> it just, okay, like, when we, okay, his US Open kit was all right, the all black with the white piping. French Open kit, I don't know. <laughs> so, as in, by, by the way, Kabir Kabir bought like a set of the French Open kit for himself and his dad. So he's he's abusing this kit, but he he wears it at home. <laughs> the French Open kit in all tan was terrible, but I also did buy two sets of it. So <laughs> yeah, it was the I, I, I like the tan. <laughs> nah, it was it was it was the worst tan moment since like Obama wore that suit in like 2016. It was like the the audacity of the audacity of taupe. <laughs> the audacity of taupe is that a real storyline? That's great. Audacity of taupe. Uniqlo's too, uh, too norm core to, for tennis. I feel like every player outside the top 50 should all be required to wear Uniqlo. Like, that's how you identify them. But if you're in, if you're going to be, like, like in terms of new, interesting stuff, I feel like it's, it's hard for them because their whole thing is kind of, like, basics. 
I think from 2014 to 2018, Nike was probably the worst brand. They just they they started making really loud colors, uh, really loud clothing, and just kind of too much branding almost. Um, 2019 Australian Open, I think they smashed it. It was really good, but there's still a lot of the Nike court that they're trying to do, which I don't really understand. I'm still down to buy it though. I'm down. So you know what I mean? It's it's the same with the Uniqlo. I bought the full and <laughs> outfit, but it's outfit, right? It's a, uh, <laughs> um, Lacoste French Open this year, pretty good. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the next part of Djokovic though is Lacoste too. I think his, his Lacoste stuff has been yeah. I think I think in terms of shoes, there hasn't really been that much except for the Curios Kyrie Irving, which which Brett gifted to me. <laughs> <laughs> They're too big on him. He gave them to me. They're too small on me, but I'll still wear them. Uh, dude, so the shoes are uh, are pretty amazing. They're so light. Okay, nice. Very basics, super okay. light. Look, probably the best looking tennis shoe I've seen in a long time. I think one one of the one of the best bits of gear, but also probably the worst bits of gear were uh, Stan Wawrinka's shorts at the twenty. 20- 15 French Open, though the one those like diamond red diamond ones. Yeah, yeah. I think that 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 set the internet ablaze for like a couple of days. It, it was it was very similar to the Czech Republic Davis Cup outfit. Mm. There was so there was also the Feder Jordan three Kith. Oh what? yeah, those are sick. Those were dope. Super sick. The um, what the granite, the Tiffany blue. Worst racket of the decade, Wilson Clash. I'm shocked that. <laughs> Terrible so, many, so many retailers obviously coming out with the end of the year list. Tennis Warehouse cannot believe they included that in their top 10 rackets of the year. I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm, I have a lot to say about that frame. Um, As in, do you, do you hate nope. the frame or just the paint job? I think both. But, um, Will's paint job, they had the, I think if you, where they start, what, what better was, what racket was better playing with in 2010? Uh, he used that um, the red and black. Um, what was it? Oh, it was the one. It was the one. BLX. BLX. Oh. It was after the K blade. Yeah. So I guess in general, the, the the their decade was terrible. They went with like the worst Fed racket I think that he played with. Now to the paint jobs of the new Wilsons, which are disgusting. Yeah, but yeah. So the the new paint jobs are disgusting as a whole. But then they also probably came up with the best racket of the decade, which is the the all black Federer Pro right. Staff ninety seven. All right, but wait, wait, so what's the racket of the decade? Is it the Pure Strike or is it the Yonix E-Zone? Uh, I think it's Yon- It's got to be a Yonix. But they're they're really like the half of the decade. I feel like they're the last like three years. Fair. Yeah, I think I think best racket of the decade is the is the Yonix, but I think um, most culturally significant racket of the decade is the, is the all-black Federer. Yeah, the racket. Because even, even our friend Chris, who hates Federer, he, uh, he just looked at the stick and he was like, I can't, I can't, I can't say anything about about it. It's too good. Um, all right. So, thoughts on two things quickly before before we talk about 2020, briefly, rapid fire, 10, 15 seconds each. Who had what players this year that are less well known who had who made strides? So obviously, the, the players that were great this year, Medvedev. Berrettini, a few others. Stefani. Stefani, obviously, won next-gen finals and World Tour finals. What about players less that are not household names who had really, really good years? Uh, I, think, I think the main one is uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime. 
Okay. So he, he is like, I think he was, he was 18 for most of the year. I think he might be 19 now, but he had a really good first half of the year. He was going deep in tournaments. He has like a really strong all court game, great athlete. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure about his, uh, his like mental fortitude yet, whether he's on the same level as, uh, as Stefanos or, or what Medvedev has become, but kind of look, look to see him making like quarters of grand slams this year and maybe like a semis or a final of, uh, of ATP, uh, a thousand, get into the top 10 by the end of the year. Uh, th- that's what I would expect to him sort of looking at the progression of people in the, in the past who, who've sort of made it, but obviously not, not everyone is linear. Sort of people have different, different rates, but I think he's, he's the main guy to, to look, to look for and sort of who had the most noticeable improvement in, in 2019. If you had to pick who's winning each slam, who would you, who would you pick? Australia, Joker, or Medvedev? I'm not sure about Joker. I think he, it, de- it depends on whether he st- struggled, like sort of, or he struggled with injuries at the end of last year. It depends on how he comes back from that. Uh, so I don't necessarily see him. Medvedev, I'm not sure if the courts are best for him, but I think he's in the top two or three for sure. Sitsipas for sure could win. Better. I think Rafa could, Rafa could win. Federer, I'm not sure. I think he didn't like how sort of the new balls were playing last year. Um, but the Aussie Open throws up surprises every year anyways. Like Lucas P- Luca Pui got to the semis last year and then didn't do anything for the rest of the year. Speaking of Lucas Pui, players, in my opinion, who had dreadful years, Hachinov and Lucas oh, Pui. Yeah, 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 Hachinov for sure. Disastrous years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> where, is, where does Berrettini stack up in all this? Until he fixes his back end, I don't see him winning... Uh, an ATP thousand or, or a major like, like Alex and I went to the U.S. Open semis, and he basically played as as well as he could. He hit like six drop shot winners in the first set against Rafa. He had two set points, and then he just loses a set. A set. And then he 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 ended up the whole match without without a break point. Um, so kind of he played as well as he could, and he lost in straights pretty pretty easily. So I I kind of see that that's 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 where he is against the best players. But relatively, he had one of the best years, no. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. Next gen. And when I say next gen, I mean maybe not in terms technically of age, but Chapavlov, Tiafo, Casper Ruud, Felix. Kabir, what about the what's the Italian Scandinavian kid? Yannick Sinner. What can we talk about him for a second? Yeah, really good. Um he's 18, super balanced game. Um you know, not a lot of flair, just very composed. A lot of easy firepower. Almost, when you see him play, it looks like maybe a junior version of Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Still growing, I think. What, what about his ranking jump like crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, he's got to be top 45. I think he's like 70. 70? Didn't he spend the year like way outside? What was that... Uh, who was the commentator that posted about him? I remember you sent me this. Craig O'Shaughnessy? Was it saying, like, what? He started the year outside the... Top 1,000, maybe. I don't know. He's 78 like... right now. And he, he jumped yeah, but... 100 spots, no? Yeah, but he, 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 won, he won the next gen. So, he, so he, like, he's, he's super young, right? So that's the type of progression you'd expect. Yeah. Um, and then you'd expect him to maybe be, like, what, top 20 next year? Like, do, do like, a Felix type of year next year. Mm-hmm. But beyond him, though, I'm more interested in, in what you think about Shapovalov in, uh, in Zverev in, uh, in 2020. 
Shapo is interesting because he's still really young, right? He's he's only twenty, and when he when he plays his best tennis, it's it's probably the the best looking game on tour. Would you agree? Definitely one of them. It's like we saw him we saw him against Monfils when he was playing sort of full flight, and he takes the ball so early. He's his uh, he's so dynamic. Sometimes it's, I it's amazing to watch. It's 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 almost like he's too too smooth. It's yeah, yeah, he's definitely enjoying it when he's uh, when he's playing in full flight. When you when you see him get really pushed off the court side to side, his shot selection is not great. And I feel like that's something it could sound trivial, but that, that's got to be holding him back. Between like getting into the second week of slams and actually like actually competing and being a threat to top ten players, I think is sometimes he's just that stock shot selection you see from players like um, Stefanos Medvedev. Just not mm. him. Yeah. You, uh, I, is, you really forget how young he is. I can't believe he's still only 20. Oh, yeah. I mean, unreal. Um, in, my head, in my head, this guy's like 23. Yeah. Uh, Zverev, what do we think? 2020? Uh, he kind of improved in the finals. Uh, he had... Although, I did I did go to see another match of the finals, which was Zverev versus... Um, Zverev versus Tsitsipas, the first... Uh, Zverev versus Tsitsipas, Yeah. And he he played he kind of was in it for the first three games and then he just started double faulting being super tight and that was kind of his story the whole year uh, he kind of got better by the end of the year in terms of his consistency but still he still has like a double faulting problem it just seems as it, it always feels like he's never gonna win yeah right so I I don't know maybe maybe he just turns it around. Um, I, I I don't know what the what the issue is there. Apparently, there's off court stuff which Lendl mentioned when Lendl left him. Oh right, um, about I, agent as well, yeah. Yeah, but about his agent. So I, I don't know how he fixes it. I don't know if he fixes it. Uh, but for him, like people have been expecting him to be the next world number one. I, and I'm like, I, it's it's quite clear that Medvedev and Tsitsipas have both overtaken him, right? Yep. Thoughts on Dimitrov? <laughs> thoughts on thoughts on Grigor. Um, who apparently sacked his coach, and that made the massive improvement that we saw at the U.S. Open, which was followed by kind of what he'd been doing the rest of the year. Um, I do think we, he is. Do we both agree that yes, he had a great U.S. Open performance, but we can't count that. We can't consider that a breakthrough. No, he had a good result. He didn't necessarily have a good performance. Like he, right? No, no, good result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, good and point. It's like for us to say, oh. That's a game changer. He's going into 2020 with momentum. All right, he did actually play really, really well. Uh, I forgot which tournament it was. Maybe Shanghai. He played two sets against Joker. I think he lost seven six seven six. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Personal yeah. match. Still, he's a big question mark for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't see him making a comeback into like the top ten or even even the top twenty. Maybe I think it, it, like reaching the semis. I think it was kind of like anomaly. Like if Federer hadn't injured his back, I, I don't think. That, that that match goes beyond three sets. Um, it's like sometimes in tennis, you just have random guys making the semis of, of majors, right? Like I think Marat Safin in 2008 made the semis of Wimbledon when he was, yeah. um, when he was like world number 30. He, he retired the next year. <laughs> um, all right. Curious. I, I think we were, all of us were pretty let down when he lost to Rublev in straight sets at the US Open. Yeah. After yeah, because he 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 looked like he looked like he was mentally kind of in it. Yeah, I mean, a, a promising year, right? Obviously, shenanigans throughout the year. All started in Acapulco, Wimbledon, a lot of drama. 
still played great in the summer, you know, inconsistent, but it looked like he was getting it together. First round U.S. Open, clinical performance from Steve Johnson, who, you know, he's easy to dismiss, but that is a good win, I think, for Grand Slam to win in straight sets for someone like Kyrgios. Then loses straight sets to Rublev, who I don't think he should be losing to. But he also, what, wasn't he up like 4-0 in that breaker and he lost it? Yeah, he yeah. started a double fault. He kind of he threw it away. Um, he had his suspension. I I think he's back, Australian Open. What do we think? Are we done with this guy? Is it? Can we get behind him? Is it? Is it just too much? I think he, he still has like the talent to win uh, like a 500 event like he did in, in Mexico last year when he beat Rafa in a, in a crazy, crazy match. That was an incredible uh, match, yeah. He 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 almost he almost beat Rafa at Wimbledon. That that was another amazing match, but as in I think we we've we've talked about it before. This guy he's he hasn't improved in the last six years since he beat Rafa at Wimbledon in 2014, right? Um, so I I don't think we can expect anything from him uh, in terms of winning like something big. Fair. I think he still has the talent to. Uh, I think sometimes he can go out and win these smaller ATP events because he probably just needs like a paycheck. And I feel like he's still good enough when, you know, no, seriously, though, like at the end of the day, it's work for him. Like, I feel like it, when he needs to, he can go out and probably win matches to make money. 100% true. 100%. Yeah. I definitely agree. That's spot on. Mm, but um, I also, one thing that's interesting about him is like, I think, I don't know if there's another athlete in any other sport who is, has the amount of marketing potential while being like not elite within like okay obviously every professional tennis player is elite but he's not if you take like the best tennis players based mm. on making and performance in the last the last two right he had like what when he reached top 10 that was three years ago yeah uh, 2017 yeah okay. he, he's oh. never reached a major semi <laughs> i mean in every grand slam in the last couple of years even ones that we've talked about for at length He's not in the top four as a contender to win. But he's also been ranked, what, outside the top 20 the, the last year? Yeah. Yeah, so, in the, and he's able to, like, sell shoes, sell rackets. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, he gets, he gets the special Nike collabs. Like, I think the one, the one thing that could improve his career is if Nike said to him that we'll give you a Jordan signature shoe if you win a major. And, mm. uh, and that, that would motivate him to, to go out and, and try and do it. But he, he, Any, anything else I don't see. Even in basketball, like you say, like Anthony Davis is probably top five player in the league. He doesn't have his own shoe. No. Yeah. is like <laughs> out of the top 20 in tennis and has his own shoe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Two unrelated trivia questions from me. Who is the first player to win all three, three clay court masters? So Rome, Madrid, Monte Carlo. What in the same year or like ever? Uh, just ever. The first he he had won all three of them. Not in the same year, but first to actually hold each title. Bjorn Borg. It... No. It, uh... Since the format, the, the the format we currently have started in 1990. Yeah. Is it Thomas Muster? Marcelo Rios. Uh, really? Sick. Second oh, trivia question. Sick. Who's the first player to win the sun the Sunshine Double? So that's winning Indian Wells. And then Miami, two Masters 1000s. Agassi? Marcelo Rios. Really? <laughs> yeah. This guy, this guy's the GOAT. <laughs> you know, one of those guys, I don't think many people know much about him. We, I don't think, saw him play, that, play. we didn't see him play that much. He was ranked number one for six weeks. 
Yeah. When you see him play, sometimes it's, you know, he, he just kind of bangs the ball. It doesn't really bend on his backhand. It's kind of odd to watch. Seriously talented player. Just wicked. Was, was he was he a bit like the curious of his day? Oh, except, yeah. Except, except he used to win. He used to win a lot. <laughs> He was like Kyrgios meets like Golbis because wasn't he a billion? Wasn't he like from an incredibly wealthy family? Yeah, possibly. I thought that was part of it. Was he was like, uh, like I think was he he was junior world number one, and yeah, then he was yeah. And I think he was. Did he win every junior grand? He had like a crazy junior career, right? Yeah, no, he was he was he was stellar. That's actually that's a good point. He's the Kyrgios, except he wins. <laughs> <laughs> he he had a sick game. But not really. Not, did he ever win a slam? No, he's the only player who's ranked number one on the men's side to have not won a Grand Slam. He got to the final of, I think, Australian Open, and I think he lost to yeah. Peter, I think he lost to Peter Korda. I could be yeah, wrong. and Peter Peter Korda was doping that year, so it yeah. was. Uh, oh man. Uh, yeah, he got he got done for doping, so it's it's a shame because this guy would he he's one of the great characters in tennis history, and his uh, his mythos would have been more if he had won that major. I think we'll try to get him on the pod. <laughs> we'll try. So, so we we've had we've had Federer, Nadal, Djokovic win every single major for the last three years, right? From seventeen to nineteen, we we all agree that that's definitely coming to an end in twenty twenty. Man, for them, it's gonna shake it up. I mean, obviously, Stefanos Tsitsipas, or as they call him in Greece, Stefane Tsitsipas, has a. <laughs> I, I still think Medvedev. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Maybe he won't be able to carry that unreal form and that mental discipline he had this year into next year. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to be the first um, of the younger guys to win a slam. Of active players, who who wins the most slams in the next decade? I think Tsitsipas. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, Federer. Federer. <laughs> no, of, of active Is Novak still playing? I would say Medvedev. I'm, I'm, I'm going Medvedev winning 10 slams. 10? Wow. Medvedev or Zverev? You believe in him, and he goes on a tear and wins like six slams. Out of all these players, who do who do I, I want to who do who would I get the most joy out of seeing win a slam? Karen Kachanov, for sure. What what happens to Fognini in twenty twenty? Hopefully, he defends he, Carlo. It's unlikely, highly unlikely. But he, he sets he sets one club on fire for sure. Minimum minimum one. Mm. Bognini is a wild card, right? Out of all the top 10, top 12 players, absolute wild card. I mean, he, he, he could easily get to the semis if he, Australian, right? He's a great hardcore player. We still haven't heard from Brett. Um, is, is, he, is, he, is he alive? Like, what's, what, what's the probability that he's, uh, that he's I, alive right now? Or, like, not alive? He's alive. I th- we think he's alive. Kiki Bali, 2019. I think this is our 20th episode. That's pretty sick. 20th episode this year and this decade. Cheers, mates. Yeah. Oh, yeah.